please welcome to the stage Angus McLean, Lindsay Collins, and Andrew Stanton. Bit of an expansive question here, but when you were making Finding Dory, were there any movies that you used as touchstones or any movies that directly Typically we do, but I don't remember. I got asked that question. I don't remember I watching like anything specifically for this. There was a movie that uh, I saw a while back, uh, you directed actually, called Finding Nemo. Was oh, oh, yeah. That's yeah. one, yeah. We did That's watch that film. one. We, we, we watched that one. that. It's yeah. weird because since Finding Nemo, the iPhone got invented. And uh, now we uh, now we just have it in our pocket. Like I remember, like I was like, I don't think that happened anymore. We'd have arguments all the time. We yeah. just pull it out and quickly look. Yeah. It's very strange. So is it any good? It's all right. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. It looks great on a phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was really the task was to make a continuation of that story. And uh, uh, luckily, uh, Andrew wanted to make the movie about. Dory herself, and, and that was such a great Absolutely. way into the story. Did we watch Flirting with we Disaster? We watched Flirting with Disaster to talk for somebody who was going for to families. look yeah. for their families. For their families, because it was, a, it was yeah. an adoption yeah. story in the very yeah. early days. So we watched that movie, which is a great movie. Very early version of the film, uh, like we're talking the first version, the, uh, both the parents had short-term memory loss as well. Whoa. And, yeah. uh, and, they, and they had forgotten that, they, that they, they just knew they had lost something. And they had, in the time that Dory had been gone, they had come across a stray whale shark named Destiny and, and adopted her. And so it was sort of a rival sister story. And, uh, and it was strange. It was and very strange. And, we, and people were like, I'm not sure I can really sympathize with parents Parents who that swapped you out, yeah. They lost you. But also, three then, people with yeah. short-term memory loss in a scene is just annoying. It's very annoying, yeah. Turns you out. You learn very quickly, don't yeah. do that. Only one. Yeah. That's what you can do. I would absolutely love to read that No, script. you would not. It, it was, I really it was would. tedious. <laughs> <laughs> a bit. That's, a uh, bit, yeah. Just a little bit. This is a curiosity question, but how have dentists reacted to you <laughs> when they've met you? Because I bet it's not double thumbs up. Um, I haven't been confronted by any dentists mm. personally. <laughs> I have, I've heard secondhand. The last thing you want is an angry dentist, let's <laughs> just be honest. From... Uh, from mine, <laughs> he was very pleased that all the uh, terminology was accurate. <laughs> classic dentist. Yeah, yeah. yeah classic yeah, dentist. Yeah. Like you got the so. tools right, so that was good. So I'm happy. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, if you can top that question, you're a normal human <laughs> being. So please do ask whatever's on your mind. First question. Um, how many story reels since the early beginning until the final product did you um, more or less Story reels? Through? Story reels, yeah. Yeah, um, basically, if you guys don't know what story reels are, um, we not only write a, a drafts of the script, but after about the second one, we will start to storyboard exactly what we've written in that script and, and cut it like a movie, use our own voices. You know, you're usually the voice of Dory, I'm the voice of Marlon, and, um, and we'll uh, cut it to music and just like a rough cut of a movie, and we'll, that'll be simultaneously with every draft of the script we write. Um, we had nine. Nine versions, and it's, it's every three yeah. to four months. We screen it. We screen yeah. it and 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 uh, um, attack it and redo it. You have some insane stat. It's like one hundred and fifteen thousand individual storyboards. We're drawn. We're drawn. Never to be seen by yeah, just human eye. gone. But they were yeah, one hundred and fifteen thousand storyboards were drawn. I don't know if anybody's done theater, but it's the way we work with writing is much more like workshopping a play where it's not expected that your first draft is any good. It's more like a shape, and then you, just, and you kind of include everybody in to watch all your bad writing. 
and you, and you put on the play again and again and again until you kind of get it just right. So in a weird way, we kind of build in multiple reshoots into our, our way of making a movie. Right. That's how we've always worked. <clears throat> and you know, you got basically four years to work on the story and about a year and a half to actually make the, like spend the money to make the movie, put to, to produce it. So you kind of have no excuse not to get it right. How does Nine compare to other projects? Nemo was 12. Uh, Wally was uh, eight, yeah. um, and Carter was seven. But like Inside Out was more because Inside Out was it was a longer process. Andrew's mm. Andrew's pretty quick. <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> in Pixar terminology, it's like four years, and, and Inside Out was it was almost closer to six years. Um, so if you just do the math, like we we basically take six months to put it up the first time on reels because it's the very first time it takes a little bit longer, and then. About every four months after that, you're putting it up on reels and showing it. So, but again, we're starting from a blank page. Yeah. Mm -hmm. With publicly, or at least with the group, it's not like uh, in live action. Like you, you buy a script or find a script, and for all you know, that writer's put in the equivalent of eight drafts or something without you knowing. You know, sometimes it's, it's, you can tell. Obviously. Yeah. But, yeah. But I like to believe a really good story uh, had had the labor of. Uh, you know, seven to eight drafts, you know, whenever it makes it to the screen, regardless of how quickly the movie was made, mm -hmm. if it's really good. Yeah. Another question from you guys. Hi there. Um, the Mimic Octopus has, I think it's only been discovered maybe the past 10 years or since Finding Nemo. Was that something that you saw on YouTube and you thought, I must write that into the script? It's just an amazing animal. The, the, the octopus kind of came about because um, we, we didn't have the octopus initially in the very early versions of Only it. Only in and, the first draft. The second um, draft yeah, but when we push, put it up, because and we found that Dory had to be by herself all the time. Mm -hmm. And because she had to go through these pipes and nobody could fit through the pipes. Oh, and so she had to be by herself. And then that was a big problem because she couldn't remember anything. And um, so we were like, okay, we have to put somebody in there with her um, in order to get around. And they can fit in the pipes and kind of find their way around, and then part of it was that the, the octopus just naturally is an escape artist. I mean, they, they're brilliant, and they can get in and out of everything, and they can be out of water and in water, and um, we're talking a lot to the Monterey Bay Aquarium, who we used a lot for, for uh, research, and they would tell like these horrific stories of like the, the night watchman walking down you know, the, the hallway at night with a flashlight and be like, think they're picking up a piece of trash, and it was like an octopus <laughs> in the hallway, and we were like, yes. That's what we need. So, um, so yeah. I mean, it was it was kind of being intrigued by the possibility of having this octopus that could kind of hide and get in and out of everything. Yeah, one detail that we didn't end up putting in the movie that we thought was interesting was that in an effort to keep the octopus in its tank, they would line the outside of the octopus tank with astroturf or fake grass yeah. because it was the one thing that the suckers couldn't stick to. Then uh, we had in earlier versions of the movie we ha we had something like that, but it began to be like a little bit too much of a. Wait, hold on. Okay, yeah, I get it. And so it, it was slowing things down. Um, I'd like to ask about, and I'm trying to find the right adjective for it, but the ending is one of the most out there, fun Pixar endings I've ever enjoyed. It mm. is truly wonderful to watch the stuff with a truck, like yeah. echolocation. It seems so delightfully. I think off the wall, I guess. Well, I think, I think it's because we wanted to dramatize that how off the wall Dory's thinking is, that she basically isn't afraid to try anything. She's, I mean, that's actually what her, 
short-term memory gains her is mm -hmm. this fearless quality, and this and, and, and she doesn't out logic her, you know, yeah. you know, overthink it or anything. And and so to dramatize that, you kind of have to just go outside of the box with everything. If you notice, she once 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 her mom says to her, uh, "Don't you dare be sorry." Um, we never let her be sorry again, and we and we always let her be in charge and drive, mm -hmm. uh, and t to the point that she's literally the navigator in the truck driving, you know, uh, and and he's just the physical quality, but she's the only one that can see. And I just I I basically um, I wanted to once she went through that and she was completely alone and got herself out of her own hole and found her parents, I wanted her to like be, uh, nothing would, would deter her from getting the family she loved, which was Marlon and Nemo and Hank. So um, I wanted to throw everything at her. That, and so what's the, what's the thing that possibly no fish could do is like stop a truck from going inland. You know, so that's, that's basically why it's that way. I'm thinking Dory would love the Fast and Furious movies. Yes, yeah. Space Bear like, owed to. Love them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. How many people did you, you know, were involved in developing the script for you? If it was like dozens, then you couldn't name them. But if it's, if it's a smaller number of people, perhaps you could give us an idea because it's really interesting to, to think about that. It can vary from film to film, but for me, uh, I always, uh, I, I write my own films, but I never write them in isolation. I always like a co-writer. So there's always a, sc a screenwriter in, in, in addition to, to me, the director. And then uh, in this instance, there's a co-director. Co and then there's uh, a head of, then we have a story department, uh, which is, uh, and you have a head of story who's sort of the person that's sort of coaching uh, or managing all the storyboard artists to draw the scenes. And, uh, and that's usually anywhere from six to eight people. And so that the so in a weird way, and then you have your editor. So in in a weird way, you have sort of the story department, which is one brain. You have your co-writer, and you have your editor. That and then you have the director, and then sometimes the co-director. So that, that that's a lot of voices. But the it's a it's a director's medium in in ours. So so I, I have final say at the end of the day. But you're not trying to win. Um, that's the nice thing about the environment that sort of got. Um, in, not invented, but sort of encouraged and developed by John when, our, when we first did Toy Story about 25 years ago, um, was uh, it was really like, what's the best idea for the story? And we just lucked out that, that in the early days, we loved to debate. It, it, we, it's, it's healthy. There's a lot of, there's a lot of debate. It's, but nobody, again, is trying to win. We're just trying to go, what's the best idea? And you'd see us almost get red in the face, and then suddenly, uh, Somebody would have a, uh, the convincing idea, or typically a third idea, and everybody would back off and go, oh, yeah, that's the best idea. Um, so it's a very um, healthy atmosphere, uh, because everybody understands that um, the best idea will win. And so nobody's trying to take ownership about anything. So it, it's a, it, it can be unwieldy. I've had people come from the outside and go, geez, why are you letting so many people speak up? And it's a little bit, um, it's basically because I have the confidence that, like, at the end of the day, I can just choose whatever I want, so I, I, I don't have to play rank. It's more about just a, how, how can you sort of referee a healthy debate club, I guess. Um, I was wondering, uh, you have such a wealth of talent at Pixar, and I was wondering uh, if you open the doors to all your creative people to come up with ideas for new films, not necessarily for this one because it's more of a sequel, but 
like original ideas? Do you have a, like an open policy for? Or no. Is it no. Um, <laughs> yeah. Good question. I mean, uh, it's a good Next. question, but no, we don't. We basically, it's kind of select. It's it's selected. I mean, there there are certainly there are different um, ways that we kind of audition or, or identify people that that might be ready to kind of step into the to the directing uh, chair. There's, you know, we obviously have our short films, and that's always kind of been a good kind of way to, to see what people would do given that, given that opportunity. Obviously, co-directing is, is a way that we give people opportunities to, to kind of test their chops. And then, um, and then ultimately, once somebody has been kind of deemed like, hey, we think you might have you know, what it takes to, to direct something, they, they then kind of are selected and they go away and they think of two to three ideas and they come back and pitch two to three ideas of which ideally one or two or one is selected. Sort of like someone has like a gem of an idea, and then you. Yeah, Andrew always pitches one. Okay. I mean, I think right. I mean, you've never pitched more than one, have you? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've yet to meet somebody that's a filmmaker that doesn't have ideas of their own. But I, I mean, you've only have, it, like usually the rule was. I think I think Ed came up with the Ed Catmull came up with like the two to three, and it was more because he wanted to encourage people not to become so wed to one idea. Yeah. That they 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 put everything into this one idea. So his his kind of scientist uh, brain was like, then they should try three ideas. And so then that became kind of the norm for a while. And now mm. I think anywhere between two or three ideas people usually pitch. But we're, we're unlike a, uh, uh, a studio that would have its a development department that's just generating ideas and then you cast it with a director. The directors are attached to the genesis of any idea. Basically, develop, the people, not development's the like almost like the typing pool where like the directors go back in and then they find they, they have the means to help have people help them develop their next idea. Yeah. That's really the way it works. So it's almost like a director's uh, studio. Hi, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Um, I just wondered, when you're coming up with ideas for films, where does it start for you? Does it kind of start with a theme that you want to explore? Does it start with plot, characters? Mm. Um, it's, it can be anything. Um, I'm trying to remember. Um, typically, it's, it's, it's a character plus a situation that seems to have more to it. I'm trying to think. Like, like Nemo was, was um, several ideas that finally came together over a period of about a year. I, I had been raised uh, by the ocean, and I went as a kid to a dentist office that had a fish tank. In the, in the wall that could see people being worked on in their teeth, and I thought that's the weirdest thing fish must ever watch. <laughs> and, uh, and then I, I uh, thought of a fish losing its uh, son and wanting to find him, and, but I knew that that wasn't enough. That's just a situation in a, in a setting. And it wasn't until um, I was bringing my son to a park one day when he was six, and I was finding myself trying to spend quality time with him, but I just spent the whole time saying, don't touch that, you're gonna run out to the street, you be careful. And I kind of you know, ruined the whole day just out of my own fear. And I realized, oh my God, okay, that's something to say. And then they, they came together. So um, ultimately, you wanna have something to say, but sometimes you start from a much more basic thing. Wally, for example, was a character. It was like, it was like what, if, what if everybody left the earth and somebody forgot to turn the last robot off and it just didn't know it could keep doing its, you know, it could stop doing its job. And that's not a story, it's a, it's a character. And, and, but man, did it evoke such empathy and loneliness yeah. that 
just that alone makes you go, it's worth pounding on this for sometimes a month, sometimes years, to find more until you know there's enough for a story. So it can come from anything. But ultimately, there has to be a theme-worthy why to it, you know. Hello. Um, how far through the process were you when you chose Louis Armstrong? <laughs> that was you. That was me. Uh, I thought there was only one choice. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like there... I don't know if it's a comedy trope, but it had to be something that would uh, slow the slow the action down. As the action was slowing, it was something that was also a kind of non sequitur <laughs> and funny. But at the same time, it's odd that looking back at it, how Louis Armstrong is used in, in Wally too. That made um, us doubt it for a moment, and yeah. for probably a day, we tried every other song tried we could a think bunch of. Other stuff and uh, nothing. You came up with the slow mo. You came yeah, up with that the, whole the, moment. The, was, yeah. was was angry. First, it was. Uh, can we just get an octopus driving a truck? And then that led to, can then the truck drive off a cliff? And then that kind of worked backwards into what, what we wanted to say with uh, Dory driving and the reasons why. Some of the ideas, I would say in general, for example, say the touch pool scene, we knew we wanted to have a touch pool. And then how exactly that incorporated into the film uh, about telling Dory's story that was, a, that was a building, like that was a step of her being alone and then finding Hank. When we first had that scene, it was Hank going through the touch pool, able to do everything. It didn't help us at all, character-wise, with Dory. So oftentimes, you find these little plot ideas and elements, and then find a way to filter that back. Part through of where that came character. from, though, remember, is where Max. We were visiting the our head of story. Um, yeah. We were visiting the Monterey Bay Aquarium on one of our many trips there, and there was like this bucket of starfish in, in the, the back, in the corner, yeah. in the back of the quarantine, and and we were back there, kind of looking behind the scenes, and Max was like, "Why?" Why, what's wrong with those starfish? It was a clothes hamper too. Like it was like it was like really there was he was like what's wrong with those starfish? Why are they in here? He's like, they've been in touch pool. They've been in the touch pool. Sometimes and they, they need, need some quiet time. They need some quiet time. <laughs> and, we, and all of a sudden Max's story brain was like, Wah! like we need to, yeah. yeah the fact so that they need to have like some alone time. Come from an off yeah. comment from. A, we just yeah. got back from doing press in Japan and they all asked, why are the children so mean in the touch pool? <laughs> Uh, and I was like, really? That's just kids to me. You, maybe, maybe it's I'm, just American Maybe I'm too kids. American. Yeah. But. Maybe, maybe British kids are far yeah. more polite with the touch pool. Can I please ask about Sigourney Weaver? Mm -hmm. So did it have to be Sigourney in your mind? Yeah. I mean, um, <laughs> we, actually, we did it as a joke to ourselves. We thought it would never see the light yeah, of day. Yeah, we thought it would get cut. Um, we loved, we, it was always a disembodied voice, like a godlike voice uh, and a woman that like made Dory come go up, but we thought, oh my gosh, that would be so much funnier, and it made us laugh. She's sort of not not to the level he is here, but she's sort of the David Attenborough of, of America, in the sense that she does a lot of nature video narrations. She's been in she's in uh, you hear her voice at the Academy of Science in the San Francisco, San Francisco. Museum, mm -hmm. uh, and and so uh, she does have an association with you know nature and things like that. So she's got a very soothing kind yeah. of intellectual voice. And um, but just her name. And then a rad name. Just, just Sigourney Weaver. It's very specific. It just works and. Uh, but we Initially, we said it once, like it was like yeah. a one time, one time, and then the more we had it like written into the, the script, funnier the funnier it got. got. Yeah. I remember reading that the first time and saying, "Are we? Can we? Can we do this?" Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, and uh, I thought it was so funny, but I was like, like, "I don't." Did you notice in the credits, Sigourney Weaver plays Sigourney Weaver? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Another joke. Yeah. Um, she, uh, 
we waited till the last minute. I mean, we're friends with her because she was a voice of the computer in Wally, and I said, I'm not pulling that card until, unless I know for sure it's not getting cut from the film. Yeah. And, uh, and so it was only like last fall. I think the only debate we ever got about it actually was at Disney. The, the two Disney execs actually debated it. Really? Do you remember that? It was no. really early on. I blocked it out. Yeah. <laughs> one was debating whether it was funny, and the other was like, I don't think it's funny. And the other one was like, I do think it's funny. And then we just sat there quietly and was like, I can't believe they're even debating this. I thought they were going to cut it. And then we kind of quietly walked out of the room, and then we kept it in, and then it, and yeah. then it stayed in. So there you go. I don't know who it is internationally. We were just coming back from, back from Japan. They kind of pitched us this uh, classic jazz singer who's also a painter who is playing the Sigourney Weaver <laughs> yeah, character. Yeah, it's amazing how they internationalize it. And you're like, all right. It's the, this, it's is it France. funny? And they're like, we're going to announce it ahead of time. I'm like, that's kind of the joke is discovery. But if, if that's what you think, that's, uh, that's in France, fine. Was it France? Wasn't it like some, it was she's like a, newscaster. she was like a newscaster. It was like some famous newscaster in France. And they said it plays huge. And we were like, really? Does yeah. she have a funny name? Yeah. They're like, no. And we're like, all right, well, whatever. You're missing. Then half the joke is gone, but whatever. Yeah. Hi, sorry, Pete, I don't know. Um, how does it feel knowing that in aquariums around the world, kids are pointing at tanks and screaming, Nemo? That's pretty crazy. It still happens. It's still, it's, it's amazing. Weird. I mean, because we had to go back to the Monterey Bay Aquarium and some other ones just to research for this one. And it's and yeah. at the time that was like 2012, we were doing that, and, and you're talking, you know, nine years yeah, later, and the, you would hear just all around you keep hearing names of characters from. My Finding favorite Nemo's. story was the one of you and your daughter right after. In 2004, like the summer after Nemo came out, um, I had to get away, and I was with my family in Hawaii, and my and they were they didn't want to uh, snorkel; they wanted to do one of those sort of cheesy glass bottom boats for the. You get on. We're, we're at this exclusive resort. We're like you're not you don't leave the resort, so everybody that. You're getting on this glass boat with the people you're going to see in the buffet line later on the beach, and so, the, and I don't, I don't, don't need anybody knowing who I, who I am. And the minute we get out in the glass bottom boat, the the uh, person driving just starts using all the names of characters from Finding Nemo to point out everything. And my my six year old daughter's like, Dad, that's I'm like, if you out me on this raft, <laughs> we have five more days at this vacation spot, you know, and like, I, you, no way, you know, and, and the buffet line, the buffet line, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, but, think of the buffet. Yeah. Um, I was wondering how um, easy it was, I suppose, to get what I perceived as a lesbian couple into the story in terms of the audiences worldwide can be quite conservative at times. So how is it to deal with stuff like that? Funny story, that. Uh, we never asked them if they were lesbians or not. Maybe. I don't know. We never asked. Um, and so that when it got in the trailer in the States, um, it was like this one shot. And we were like really surprised because everybody's like, oh, clearly it's uh, Disney and Pixar's first lesbian couple. And we were like, what, wait, what? Parents. Like we just, uh, OK. And then, and then we didn't, we were kind of like, oh, that's. And then it caught on and it got more and more um, kind of press. And uh, we kind of. Um, the, the, the bigger irony of that is that there was actually a different couple that nobody has noticed in the movie. That we were. That we were intentional about. So the irony is. The irony is the one that got noticed is not the not one that we. No, when we were like, oh. The one we, intended, nobody's noticed yet. Nobody's noticed yet. And, uh, and I said, so we kind of were like, the, the, our answer to that question every time anybody asks is, you know, we just try to populate the world the way we see it. 
Um, and you know, there are characters, obviously, that are the main characters that we know everything about. We spend all this time making sure we know what their backstories are, where they're from, what they think. And then we populate the world. That's what we do. And our only thinking when we populate the world is to make sure we're as accurate and as reflective of the world around us as we can be. And so therefore, that is what it is. And, and background characters, we try to do uh, a healthy split, or 50-50 split of gender and, and, and ethnicity. So uh, I think uh, there were a couple of dudes standing next to each other. But I'm like, why does nobody question Fluke and Rudder? <laughs> no. They share a rock. <laughs> no. Nobody questions it. Interesting, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Just putting it out there. That's your thought for the day. Um, <laughs> thank you so much, guys, for coming down, and please give a warm round of applause to uh, Angus, Lindsay, and.